The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another very special episode of Table Talk. We are all at the table tonight, all five of us. So, uh, Luke, uh, Natalia, who, who, who are you guys? Tell me. I, I demand you tell me who you are. I'm Nathaniel. <laughs> That's the weirdest start we've ever had. That was so weird. <laughs> yeah, so, never mind, the rest of us are here too. Yeah, yeah Matt, Ben, Dave. Yeah, we're all, we're all here. Luke was just having a go that apparently I was tired, but never mind. <laughs> He's just proved me wrong, but maybe that's what happens when you get over 30. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. So, after we did our last No Agenda episode, where we looked at, at the story of, uh, of Peter uh, walking on the water with Jesus, we got a lot of really positive feedback. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of, the, one of our listeners commented and to say that it was really like going back to the essence of what our podcast is all about. And I really appreciated that comment and i think that's exactly true and so we're back with another no agenda episode so this particular time we're going to be focusing on john chapter 4 looking at the woman at the well and basically the concept if you weren't here for the first one of these episodes is we're coming to this passage with no no prior planning in the sense that none of us have a clear idea of what we're trying to say or where we're going we're going to be studying the verse and exploring it together in a truly organic first take kind of scenario and taking you guys along for the ride so so you guys ready to ready to look at it yeah let's do it so just to start us off does someone want to read the first part of the story just so we've got something to run on sure yeah once upon a time <laughs> in a land story. Far... Oh, <laughs> sorry it's a bedtime story when therefore the lord knew how the pharisees had heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john though jesus himself baptized not but his disciples he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's old KJV for you. Oh, yeah. mate. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, <laughs> Samaria which is called... Sychar. Sychar. Yep. Near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. We'll just discuss what we've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Man alive. That's so much harder to read in the King James. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I know. Obviously, probably could give us a nice, easy recap. Jesus out with his disciples. They're doing some bapti- uh, baptizing, and he's got to get out. Oh, he doesn't have to get out, but he decides to leave Judea, and he's heading through... To his next destination, he goes through to a city called Sychar. So, and he's a bit buggered, and he's um, <laughs> sat down at a well. I love that. It was about six o'clock in the morning. So Aussie. <laughs> Actually, uh, the it, sixth hour. I was going to say when the did, sixth when, hour. Is that's that sixth hour, hour from dawn? That's midday, yeah. Yeah, yeah midday. I was going to say, because they counted it differently, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it's the middle of the day. Well, yeah. he's got a right to be exhausted. <laughs> yeah, it's do you, do you prefer that word? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of specifically interesting things in that area, and that is uh, Sychar as a, a town is well, a lot of scholars anyway think that Sychar is the same place as Shechem, and Shechem is 
uh, you know, notable throughout is- Israel's history, but uh, it's also in the valley, if you like, next to Mount Gerizim and Mount... I'm trying to remember now, Nebel, something like that. Um, Wheelbarrow always works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, it's a very auspicious spot in Israel's history. Anyway, sure, you sold me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, right well, over my head, I saw absolutely no significance in that. But well, I'm glad we, you here did. We go. I'm, I'm gonna, glad you did. Let me take you there. Let oh, let, take let's, you there. let's not waste too much time on where the place is. <laughs> the story is uh, more important, is important than where it took place. It is important, though, actually. Yeah. So the on when they in Deuteronomy when they read the law, right? Half of the tribes were on one hill and the other half of the tribes were on the other hill and they sort of retorted back and forth to one another, establishing the covenant that God gave. And so this this covenant of, of uh, inclusivity, right, that, that God was putting out there and the... I guess the beauty of it is that right there in that place where God established that covenant and also, it, this, by the way, this is the same place that he established the covenant with Abraham, that this is also the spot where I'm being looked at. No, it's fine. Yeah. Just stop your disclaimers and just say it. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So basically, this is the spot where God made the covenant that was inclusive to all nations and we find ourselves right here with Jesus talking to the woman at the well Offering salvation to a woman who was outside of Israel. Fantastic. Yeah. A Samaritan, which they don't particularly like. Yes. Yeah. What about the significance of Jacob's well? Mm. Tell us about it. Anyone know the background story to that? I'm sure you're going to tell us. Evidently, Jacob dug it and it was still operational many years later. Yeah. Well, Jacob obviously being part of that covenant journey that you were just talking about, Luke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know much about it. I was asking the question. I'm not actually... Oh, okay, I was going to say, I was hoping you, you knew, because uh, I know that it is there, but yeah, it fits into the story, but I don't know any deeper. Yeah, I've read about it, but it's a long time ago, so I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so the the p- cool thing that you're basically pointing out there, which is good background to the story that we're about to jump into, yes. is that this place was synonymous with inclusivity, mm-hmm. and yet it had become, to Israel of Jesus' day, mm-hmm. the the very... Well, it's the most exclusive kind of place you could yeah. potentially be yeah. as a Jew. Mm. Because the uh, the Samaritans believed that the right place to worship was on Mount Gerizim, which was right there that they were standing next to, whereas the Jews said, no, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And this is what the argument was between the Samaritans and the Jews, because the, the Samaritans only believed in uh, what they, what is now called the Samaritan Pentateuch. So it's the first five books of Moses. They didn't even believe in the rest of the Old Testament. But those first five books, which they had their own preservation copy of, is all they all they looked to, and also their tr- their own traditions, which is what led them to believe that that was the only appropriate place to worship. So then when Jesus pulls up to this place, which was way out of his way, he didn't need to go through Samaria. Mm. You know, the disciples, they were like, what are you doing? Mm. You know, going through this region, we, we don't go. Yeah, he pulls up, like I said, at the well, midday, and it says there came a woman of Samaria to drink water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And... So just, you know, following on from what you were just saying, this is, again, this is, the, the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans, nor did they associate with women. Mm. And so for Jesus to be asking a Samaritan woman for a drink of water was, you know, a huge no-no. He's cutting across cultural boundaries one mm. after another. Yeah. I do find it interesting yeah. that the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Perhaps mm. Jesus knew that if they were still there, that he wouldn't have had this opportunity to 
talk to the to the woman yeah. they would have they would have certainly objected that's for sure yeah. mm. or maybe she wouldn't have even come close enough she wouldn't have even approached them yeah a large group of israelite guys hanging out by yeah. the well don't know Wait, sorry where did you just read dave where did, where did you i just read verse six man verse six okay um, up to seven yeah so just, let's just get a little bit more of the story in so a woman of uh, well, jesus said come and give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, You, sir, have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and... Uh, uh, sorry, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become as a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. In this you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Here she was thinking that she was asking a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah, Jesus didn't leave that one alone. He's like, well, actually, I am. I am greater than your father Jacob that gave you this well. It's interesting that um, Jesus uses the symbol of water, right? Because it's obviously something that's essential to life and he's speaking to this woman here and he uses that as the as the entry wedge to start the conversation you know this is this is jesus variety of you know talking about the weather something that everyone can relate to in order to start a well, we do, conversation do that now oh man it's so dry at the moment exactly talking about mm. water or lack thereof mm -hmm. so do you guys have any concept of the the social structure that when it says that she's had five husbands and the one she's with now isn't her husband, was it in Samaritan culture, was it possible for a woman to actually be consulted in the divorce process or was she kicked out by multiple guys? It's a good question. Um, I would, I have no idea. I know it's possible in the, um, the later Jewish system. I mean, Jesus basically told them, you really shouldn't be doing this, being mm. divorcing your your wives for no particular reason other than the fact that you feel like it. Mm. So there's a good chance that Samaritan society would be quite similar. Mm. The other thing that I find interesting is her choice of, of discussion because, you know, essentially they start talking about the water, so something very general. Mm -hmm. Then they transition into this, and Jesus just calls her out like at this very, very personal level, talks about her, her relationships. And she doesn't even deal with that. She doesn't go, oh, well, you don't, you see, it wasn't like that with, with John. It was, you know, like she doesn't try to explain herself. She doesn't try to do anything. She immediately jumps ship in the, as far as the conversation is concerned. And she starts, uh, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And so now she's off on another tangent completely. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you a Jew, but sorry, but, uh, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when there is, 
uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And so, like they get they get straight off into this into this discussion. It says you you worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Mm. 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 So I, I guess the, the woman, once she realized this, she, she realized that there was something more important to talk about. Not the weather, not the, not the water, mm-hmm. not even her personal life, not even her husband or multiple husbands. There's something more important. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've got a chance to speak to a prophet, somebody who can ask God questions, mm. you're not going to sit there and go, well, this this is the reason this happened, this is the reason this happened. I mean, the prophet's going to know and see through that straight away. So you might as well do what she did and take advantage of the opportunity to ask some really deep and meaningful questions. Mm. Yeah. yeah, And also notice the fact that Jesus doesn't take the bait. You know, like she's immediately asking about... Uh, the the hot button issue of yeah you know oh well is it are, are we right on this mountain or are you right in Jerusalem and, and he's like it's not the point <laughs> just don't, don't even go there when I'm not even going to entertain that and starts talking about the motivation for worship yeah. rather than the place of worship oh let's face it both sides have kind of missed the point they're, yeah. they're busy work worshiping the location rather than what the location represents yeah and it makes me wonder how many of these issues because i'm sure there would be a number of people you know if there was a prophet that that popped up on the scene today and there was people that we know in our churches that could sit down and have a chat with them the, what, what sort of questions would they ask you the know? hot button questions the hot button <laughs> questions that's right it's like you know what is the deal with women's ordination? What about this? What about that? Yeah, like people are going to be picking. Or oh, you know, are we allowed to have drums in church, or should we have this in church? Or you know, are organs are the only thing we're allowed? People would be asking all of these superficial superficial questions, questions exactly. And, is it and, better to go to Arise or to to Avondale or yeah, <laughs> something else? Yeah, yeah. And I got the feeling that the prophet would have, or you know, if it was Jesus, he would have much the same response. You know, you're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> but I guess that's useful for us to ask ourselves as well. You know, what what are the questions that we are fixated on that are not exactly useful? Important. Yeah, in the greater scheme. I guess in a way, Jesus did answer a question, mm-hmm. but not the way that she was expecting. Mm-hmm. She was expecting a you know, you should worship here. Whereas Jesus goes, the answer to your question is that it's not the place that is important, but mm-hmm. the the who and the the how. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Talked about worship rather than the location itself. Yeah. Mm. It's one of those things that may sound straightforward, but is it? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? And why is it relevant that he stated that God is spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth? Perhaps it's something to do with a connection heart to heart, not just a formality going somewhere and appearing at church mm-hmm. or a place and go, I go to church, I'm, I'm holy, I'm saved. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's that genuine heart connection where where it's a transformative sort of sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that uh, when the Bible talks about the the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, you know, talking about the intention, the motives behind it up, yeah. up here, and I would say this is the same. That our worship of God must come from the right motivation and to be to be done in spirit. You know, we're we're wanting what God wants, so to speak. And truth, I would say, is just doctrinal integrity. The fact that mm. what we believe is is accurate, and we're striving to live up to the light that we have. Do you think it also has to do with what you were talking about before about location? He says God is a spirit, indicating it doesn't matter where you are, mm. worshipping Him. Yeah, true. Um, and then, you know, when we worship Him in spirit and in truth, again, it doesn't matter where, where you're worshipping. If you're worshipping God mm. from your heart, like you guys were just saying, then you, and your motives are, are, are right, then you're going to be rendering acceptable worship. Whereas if you're just going to the location, you're running through the motions at the lo- location, expecting the location to be the thing that brings worship out of you, then yeah. it's not going to make any difference. People still treat church the same way, though, yeah, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Yeah. Like, I've, I know so many people that they consider the building to be church rather yeah. than the people in it. Yeah. Some sort of sanctity to the building. Yeah, it's funny how we... The more things change, the more things stay the same as far as humanity is concerned. Very true. Very true. So I think it's also interesting at the end of that particular passage that I just read, where it's, uh, she says, "I well, I know the the Christ is coming." Yeah, she she makes this offhanded sort of remark, and Jesus just drops the bomb and says, "I who speak to you am He." You notice he can't really do this for the Jews either. Yeah, this is the most clear that he is, like right through his ministry, basically. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes him going to Samaria to be able to actually speak plainly. Yeah. Because if he does this to the Jews, well, his ministry's ending there and then. Mm. Oh, we've seen it in our churches before. You go to speak just some straight truth, and sometimes it gets lost in translation. And it's just as easy just to speak it true to someone who doesn't have a predetermined or, or a prejudice against something already. Mm, yeah. And then they can just see the truth for, for what it is mm-hmm. without yeah. looking at it at a, through a rose-tinted glass or, or mm. through whatever upbringing that they'd been given yeah mm. yeah it's funny how you assume an adversarial stance you know because if uh, just as an example uh in our church you know we have a specific understanding of what the bible teaches regards several things but like let's say state of the dead like you know what happens when you die we assume it's a certain way based on our study of scripture but when you're talking to someone who has no knowledge of christianity you know you find yourself talking to them as if they disagree with you <laughs> and then yeah but there's really no need for that because they don't have a context to that to speak into that they don't have that they don't have an adversarial stance they're just expecting you to teach them you know? mm-hmm. then luke says that uh no prophet is accepted in his own country so in some regards if you try and tell someone that has known you all your life and has grown up with the same sort of things and you go oh, hang on this is wrong they're like i know what you're like yeah, that that's not right come on whereas someone like we've been saying you know that doesn't have those preconceived ideas goes okay that makes sense yeah they're judging it on the information rather than the individual yeah. because some of them would have grown up with jesus and they said well yeah. isn't he like carpenter's son what's he what's he doing running around preaching shouldn't he be off making a table or something yeah can I just circle back to this idea of worship and mm-hmm. ask you guys, when do you feel like you are worshipping? 
how would you define worship in your week-to-week experience? I suppose the two strongest points for me is coming when it comes to worship is one, prayer. Prayer is very important for my worship. And the second is Bible study. Not just on my own, it's good, but Bible study doesn't really come alive until you do it with a group like we're doing here. Mm. It's, in a way, this is a form of worship. Any other thoughts? Teen Sabbath School. <laughs> Unfortunately, not not very often is my thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Too often, it's it's far too regimented, and I don't feel like I'm worshiping at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I'm being be- real. <clears throat> my best worships have always been alone in the car. Yeah, having some good gospel music, just something something yeah. chill, something that really touches me, mm-hmm. that moves me through the music, and just having raw moments. Mm. I love church. Get some great messages out of church, but. When you when you warm in the pew in the church, when you're a participant yeah. in a in a church service, I think that's hard to call that true. At least for my my feeling of of worship, because I'd, if I'm sitting there just listening to a message, that's great, and I'm getting something out of it. Mm. But how am I using my active bench warming to bring praise to God or to to have that moment with God? Mm. It, it's it's for you for me usually it's later. Yeah. Whether it's in the afternoon or it's two days later, something like that. Mm. But worship for me is is way more engaged yeah. than, than, passive. than than a yeah than a church service. I'm not saying that church services can't be worship for people, but for yeah. me personally, yeah, it's got to be way more engaged. Yeah. Whether it's I, I know Dave, for you, you love nature, and yeah. you you've often said that you feel really engaged with God in yeah. nature. Um, and and I resonate with that yeah. idea. As long as it's, I think my my answer to your question is the heart engagement. Yeah. Yeah. If the heart is not engaged in whatever medium it is, whether it is following along with the sermon, if if your heart is engaged and you're worshiping God in that moment, yeah. engaging with the word as it's being. Uh, given to you from mm-hmm. from wherever, then that's worship. Yeah. If it's singing from the front, if it's singing from the pew, if it's playing an instrument, but as long as the heart engagement's there, as long as it's not mm. sitting in neutral, mm. it's found a gear, yeah. then that's worship. Yeah. I, I love that. That's that me anyway. That, yeah. That's great. So, yeah. connection. That's okay. what you're talking about. It's all about yeah. connection. Well, and it's active, not passive. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what NATO's point was about Teen yeah. Sabbath School for us. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's worship for us, not, not just because we get to sit around studying the Bible with the kids, but because we're actively engaged in facilitating their growth and more often than not, that makes us grow. Yeah. yeah. And we get to see some of the results, which yeah, is... that moves me, man. Yeah. Yeah, like some, sometimes when I'm praying at the end of Sabbath school, I'm just about in tears, mm-hmm. you know, just over the fact that I've seen those kids have light bulb moments yeah. and you're just like, man... <laughs> They're the best day, those power. light bulb moments. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh... Yeah. I'm sure I speak for a lot of people and like, well, you, you guys are saying similar, but the fact that when you have responsibilities in a church scenario, it's very hard to disconnect from what's going on with the people around you to focus on you connecting yeah. with God, right? And so I I have a comment. To say I've given up on it sounds like really negative language. I don't mean it like that, but I don't think of church as the place where I go to get the refill so much as I think of church as the place where I go to engage in ministry to others. And I sort of feel like I am going and co-laboring with God in the sense that I'm serving others in that context. And just what you were saying about seeing a light bulb turn on, you know, 
in teens, you know, you guys see that a lot, which is which is really cool. And I teach in one of the older classes, the adult classes, and people are a bit more baked into their ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you you get those moments yeah. where you know that something a light has turned on for that person, and that that makes it all worth it. Yeah, that's that's worship to me when that sort of thing happens. But where I get my spiritual fill, so to speak, is one of two places. It's either when I'm alone and I'm just have some time to myself, which I'm a parent. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. But that does do it. And yeah, sitting here around the table with you guys. So because I guess being an extrovert, I think things by talking them. So being able to sit around and do this yeah. is worship to me. Yeah. It also helps the thinking process by getting extra input, extra yeah. perspectives that go, hmm. hmm, didn't think of it that way. But then that sparks more thought. Without labouring over it too much, yeah. you were just talking about church and how, you know, if you come with a attitude of service to church, mm. it's often the best way to go. Yeah. And I think I just wanted to add to what you were just saying, that some Sabbaths that, that will feel like ministry, you'll go home yeah. recharged, mm. and then others you'll go home absolutely exhausted. Yes. And so you just can't expect for it to be the same every week. Sometimes when you're doing ministry, it's hard yakka. Yeah. <laughs> like it really <laughs> yeah. is. And then there are other times where you just feel absolutely pumped by it. And you should be, you know, praising God in either. I don't think there's any story in the Bible where there's been service that anyone's perceived it to be easy. Yeah. I mean, Christ's entire ministry, there were times he had to go off by himself because it was that hard. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think sometimes you're you're right. I think in what you're alluding to is sometimes we build this ministry of service up to be this great and awesome thing. And it is a great and awesome thing, but it is a service mm. and service is a sacrifice yeah. Yeah. and it's a sacrifice to self. Yeah. And like, that's the beauty in it. Yeah. And we can sit there on our, on our high horses and go, that's mm. the, that's the way to do it. But the reality of it is, is a lot of mucking through the mud sometimes. Yeah. And it's a lot of carrying a cross. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to carry two crosses because, yeah. you know, someone else just needs a break. And, yeah. and it doesn't get easier the longer you're in it. And this is why we see so many people burn out in churches. Yeah. But I believe it is still beautiful and it's still what we're meant to achieve because that's the, that's the highlight we've seen from Christ's ministry. And I think the, the key to not burning out is obviously looking to see what he did and that was worship in his quiet area and allow the fact that, you know, if you're not getting a, a recharge from service, that doesn't mean that you're not cut out for service, but it's yeah. just meaning that this is your your time of trial and this yeah. is this is an opportunity for you to, to grow and sometimes growing requires quite quiet reflection as well. Yeah. yeah. The church is quite often likened to a hospital, yeah? Mm. Now, as followers of Christ Shouldn't we be ministering? Yes. Yeah. But then when you see results and you go, was all that mm. struggle worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. Just like you know, the the doctors and nurses in hospitals, when they see a patient recover, it's yeah, worth it. That's why they're it. in the job, right? Yeah. 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 But we've got to push on even if we don't see the results. Yeah. yeah. It's good if we can yeah. see the results. But in it's, our, it's, in it's encouraging. That's yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it is, it is. Yeah. But yeah, but we some, shouldn't be in there for that as well. And I know yeah. that's not the point you're making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that. sometimes the results come down the track. Sometimes we'll say something to somebody and it won't be for years until 
the penny yeah. drops. I know we've used the analogy several times on this podcast before, but talking about the fact that sometimes you've got to be the one who's got to till the soil. Yeah. Someone else is going to reap that harvest. Mm. And you may never see that person until mm. one day that you're both in heaven. Mm. But and that's okay. But that, that's okay. Cause mm. you you, know, you, you'll then know it was worth it. Well, yeah, but Christ came down. He gave up this, not for the guarantee of... 10 million souls it was for the opportunity of at least one person accept and so you know he wasn't focused on the numbers or the, the results only that the result was that god was proven to be love yeah anyway we could we, we could yeah. completely go off on a tangent all night yeah um, can, I, can i take us back mm-hmm. um go your hardest mate i got a bit distracted earlier when you guys were talking about the part about the husbands and stuff so I'm going to go back there where I was when you were when you left that. Mm-hmm. Just talking there, Jesus, he intentionally says that about the husbands, right? He brings that up for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if you follow the passage through really carefully, I think, I think you'll notice that Jesus is bringing this lady on a journey. It's a journey of discovery. He's going to reveal to her that he's the Messiah, the one that she needs, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not ready to divulge that information right at the beginning. He needs to get her heart in the place that we're just talking about with worship before he can tell her that I'm the Messiah and she'll receive that and then be able to receive the blessing as a result of that. And I was just, I I did a little bit of searching based on your question before about the Samaritan culture and Mm. found nothing helpful. But uh, something that it mentioned there is that either way, you know, no matter how she got from the fifth husband to this other fella, Mm. there was some form of illegitimacy Right, you know, mm. she's either living with a guy she's not married to, which was not smiled upon in the culture, or the previous marriage had fallen apart because of unfaithfulness on either side, or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so basically, no matter what the scenario, she's she's in guilt and shame, and that's mm. why she's going to the well at midday in the middle of the, the heat. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so Jesus brings her along to that point where he he recognizes, well, you've come to the well at this time of day. There's something going on. And so he brings her along that journey and he mentions about the husbands to get her to that point of repentance, right? And then she tries to change the subject. Jesus brings her back by pointing, worship comes from the heart. And then she she says, you know, oh, I know that Messiah's coming. Like, things will be great then, won't they? And Jesus is like, well, he's right in front of you. And so I think it's it's really interesting the way that Jesus does that. And, you know, we can learn a lot from that. But I think it's also really pertinent to what we we're just talking about, about worship. You know, sometimes the times where you have that hard experience of worship is when life sucks. Like, legitimately, there's something going on in your experience mm. and things are really, really hard. I don't know whether you guys can relate to that. Mm-hmm. That's me most of the time when I find myself in church and I actually have that worship moment. Mm. It's like one of the hymns has just spoken into my very situation yeah. and I'm just like, oh, ouch. <laughs> you know, that hurt. Yeah. And And I think it's really important. Sometimes we have to be broken before we can be mended. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And Jesus has led her to the point where she's recognized her brokenness and now he's now he's willing to apply the balm. Mm. But he, if he had not have brought, brought her to the place where she was broken, it would have been that conversation that you were just talking about before, Matt, where you talked about prejudice getting in the way. Mm. You know, and she, if she wasn't broken, the prejudice would have stopped her from believing that he was the Messiah. But because she was broken, she was able to believe. Mm. And so sometimes when, you know, when we come to God, there's this whole come to God just as you are thing. Absolutely, come to God just as you are. Because if, if you come to God just as you are, you're in the prime position to receive him into your heart. 
Whereas if you come to t- come to God thinking you got everything okay, going okay for you, I've, I've manufactured all the excuses I need to feel okay, mm. and then you come to God, mm. there's a good chance that God's going to slip straight past your shoulder, mm. and you're not going to feel a thing. Rich, yeah. young ruler. <clears throat> oh, well, you played yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, rule number one, never play yourself. <laughs> But hey, uh, j- just a just a thought too. You were mm-hmm. talking about the state of mind and the fact that Jesus did bring up those yep. the five husbands and possibly the sixth guy. And I, I was doing a bit of research when you were off doing yeah. a bit of research <laughs> too. And I, I didn't find anything specific with the culture that you were really asking, Luke. I really couldn't find anything there. But uh, I was coming across a, a, a point that was that was being made, and whether you guys want to expand on it or not, or we can just keep moving on. But I thought it was. Really cool idea where, where the author was looking at the analogy of the fact that this lady has tried five and possibly six different lives now. Yeah. She's been searching for something her entire life and gone through a lot of yeah. husbands to try and find it. Yeah. So, there's been some sort of yearning for, for I dare say, acceptance and love. Mm-hmm. We can make the assumption that she's possibly copped abuse in them. Because yep. there's no, especially in a culture like that, mm. and we've talked about the fact that women were often ostracized after one divorce, mm. and yet she's got like, you know, several to her name. Yeah. And like you said, she's coming out in the middle yeah. of the sun while no one else is at the well mm. to draw water because she can't go in the morning with the rest of the women yeah. because it, it's just not healthy. Mm. And then she finds Jesus sitting there. And I, I really think mm. there's a lot to be said about Jesus' aura mm. that would make her open to it because what. She's going out when no one's there. Yeah, she doesn't want and to see she, she would. It's not like the well's like tucked away behind a corner, so you'd like walk around the corner. Oh, someone's there. I better go now, otherwise it's going to be awkward if I turn away. <laughs> like every picture I've seen of a well, it's in the middle of a meeting place. Mm-hmm. Like the wells just seem to be congregation areas. So she would have seen there's a guy there, and it's just like whether it's by necessity or the fact that she was actually desiring some level of companionship, even mm. if it was that he never talked to her while she drew water. Mm. But there was a desire to meet him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she tries to throw up some some false trails and th- throw up a couple of false walls and, mm-hmm. and try and take the track into something that's a bit more comfortable to her. But I think it was, it, like you said, Jesus is like, you're broken. We're going to acknowledge the brokenness. We're going to see that. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to work past it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it's not important that you had five husbands, mm-hmm. but it's important you know that I know you did just in the moment that I see you as you are, yeah. not as a facade that you're going to try and put up, but I see you clearly for for who you are. And now when you... And that's that's a hard one for us when we have mm-hmm. have those moments, those worship moments with God you were talking about where him or, or something yeah. really strikes your heart. Yeah. That's when we know like we open ourselves to the point where we're like, okay, God, see me right now mm-hmm. as I am. And they're the moments that God talks to us, I think, and he really works on our heart in those moments because he goes, yes, you have let me see you as you are and I see you now and now we can do something because now it's the chance for, for reformation. Now it's the chance for for putting together broken pieces and, and showing a beautiful image. It's it's all these things that we talk about, but sometimes we take such a long time to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just really good that, like you said, Jesus had to acknowledge that for a specific reason. It's not just to be like, ha check out what I know, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. And he comes through to this, this really interesting crux point and if no one else has got anything else to add then we can look at the reaction from her when he's gone it is 
uh, I who's yeah, I, I who to yeah. speak. It is me. I'm the yeah. Messiah. Okay, <laughs> that is such a weird sentence. Yeah. Like, boom, boom, boom. But he's like, I'm the Messiah because she's going. Oh, I know he's coming and it's going to be great. He goes, That's me. Yeah. And if you're happy, we're just going to keep going. Yeah. Just before you do, can I riff on that? What you were saying just oh, before? Real riff, quick? riff. But yep, let's keep it going. But yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I know. But two things. I'll make a brief. One is that Jesus was found in her shame. Like she was there at the middle of the day because she was feeling shame in the in the community, and that's exactly where she found Jesus. That's exactly where we find Jesus too. Where, where, mm. Wherever it is that we're broken, that's where we'll find him, because he's there for the solution, right? Mm-hmm. The second thing I don't remember, so we're going to leave that there. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> keep going. Right. Well, if we're all good, I'll just yeah. keep going. Keep going. So obviously, at, at this point, they've just had this kind of really eye-opening conversation. Disciples get back and they're like, "Oh, check it out! Jesus is talking with this woman. This is a bit strange." And they didn't interject though, but then the woman has left her water pot and went into the city. And see, she didn't just go to anyone. She went to the men. She went to the heads of the houses, things like that, and said, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then the reaction, so the com- like the conviction she's had has been so inspiring that an ostracized woman has been able to go into a community that despises her and then in verse 30, it just says, then they went out of the city and came to him. So you can imagine she's gone in and she's gone like, I, she I really... power. <laughs> Sorry, go. No, no, no. Like she's gone in and said like, I think the Christ is sitting at our well. Mm. Like, but she said it in such a, such a way that they're like, well, we got to check this out. Yeah. Like if someone came into your, came into your neighborhood and was saying things like, I don't know, some... Things that would make you believe, anyway. <laughs> Gandhi's at the end of the street. Come and check it out. You know, and I know Gandhi's dead, so that'd be weird. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but so, some renowned figure that, yeah. you, that you really think would be worth listening to has come in and he's at, at, at the end of the street and we've been waiting for someone to come. Mm. And it's such a bad analogy. I really give <laughs> that up. But anyway. I, I, I think one of the things is because... She was. She would have had a, a bad reputation, and wouldn't have spoken to people normally. Mm. They're like, "Hang on, what's going on here? But this is think- this is something very dramatic for her to, first of all, speak up, and then something's different about her. She's not portraying the the, the shame and and whatever that she usually does. But I think there's this be is something. definitely something interesting. We've got to go and check it out. There's definitely got to be something different about her because without wanting to use nasty terms and anything like that, but you can imagine that if she went into a, an, a populated area because of what she was facing, they would have turned their backs to him. They would have closed the door, things like that. And she just comes running in and just like, check it out. Just check it yeah. out. But it's said with such conviction, I'll just... they've only got like two verses for it but I wish there was more Mm. because I want to see where this conviction is Mm. but it's 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 really hit them because they've come and meanwhile the disciples are like Jesus you better start eating right now because we've seen this before this is an afternoon of teaching coming (laughs) 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 you gotta eat now because you're not eating later (laughs) but but what, what does he say I've already had something to eat. Well, he says I have food to eat of which you did not know. <laughs> but they're such idiots, right? Like, 
just you track the journey that Jesus has just been on. He's led this woman to a point of discovery. And I don't know whether you guys have ever had that experience mm-hmm. where you've had the opportunity to, you know, be part of something great. It might not have been exactly what Jesus is talking about, but you've just been really engaged in some form of service or ministry or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's been super, super exciting. You don't, you don't want to stop and eat. Like, you mm. don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right? And the yeah. disciples just rock up. What are you doing talking to her? Right? Yeah. You need to get some tucker, mate. <laughs> like, we got the fish. She's still hot, mate. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is just like, what? Where are you guys? Like, yeah. seriously. But then, like, after his response in 32, the disciples are looking at each other. And they've all gone into town. Yeah. They've all been in a group. And they're looking at each other like... Did you feed him? Yeah. The disciples are like the 12 versions of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> They're wonderful people and God really works a great transformation through their lives. But there's moments where it's like, do you yeah. not see the big yeah. picture? Yeah. But in saying that, like, let's be fair, put, fair, put ourselves fair. in those shoes, maybe we'd be exactly Yeah, I was about to say, if, if yeah. we were there under those cultural circumstances... Sounds probably very, be... very familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. We'd be there going, uh, really? So, so Jesus... which one of you guys fed him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Jesus obviously has to lay it out straight, like you, you um, kind of with what you were saying, Dave. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So... You know, he, he's like, man, I, I am eating while I am teaching. Like, yeah. this spiritual growth yeah. that I'm seeing in her is sustaining me. Mm-hmm. And that is insane mm. to think. Because that means, like, Jesus must have ate all of, like, 12 meals <laughs> in, during his ministry. Because, and they were, like, special meals that he had with people. Because he's just <laughs> constantly teaching people. And he's like, that's all the food I need. Mm. I mean, man, yeah. I can't do, like, Four hours without thinking about <laughs> well, <there's, laughs> this guy. <laughs> there's a term that we quite often use that is very similar to what eating is all about. Jesus was energized mm-hmm. by this service. Mm-hmm. When you eat, you are energized. Jesus was energized mm-hmm. by a different method. And I think this is actually a, a good litmus test. And I, I'm not saying, well, if you've if you've ever felt hungry while you've been doing ministry, you're doing it wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is. If we're not regularly engaging in something, some kind of ministry, something that God is asking us to do or worshipping Him, whatever it is, and we're not fully engaged with that uh, to the degree that Jesus is here, then we prob- we're, not, we're not necessarily where we need to be. Mm. Uh, and I know that, sure, eating is a good thing. I'm not saying don't do that. But you, know, but you get my point. What I'm saying is we should be engaged and we should be excited about ministry to the degree that we forget other things. Well, we shouldn't make yeah. it like, oh, I've got to be excited about ministry. I think that excitement yeah. comes organically. Not, not a burden, yeah. It, it comes organically when yeah. we see that transformation. You guys are talking about with your teen Sabbath school and Luke, you're yeah. mentioning with your adult class. Mm-hmm. But there, God will throw us a bone to keep us there. Yes. Um, he won't see those fall away from ministry mm. that He's put on their burn, uh, put a burden on their heart to be in ministry. Mm. And so there's there's all these all these really cool analogies that Jesus continues to go on about. Where he's talking about the, this harvest and like you know there, there's a field here. There mm. is this town is ready for it. Mm. Like, yeah. what, well, what they, are you well, doing? You, you, we'll you, see you, what happens. They come out. Sorry. Well. Oh, let's yeah read that, yeah, that yeah, verse no, about just... the, the harvest and that. Mm. This is right after the disciples talking about food. Is Jesus like, <laughs> you're talking about food? Look at the field. It's full of grain ready for the harvest. Mm. But he's talking Why about am people. I hungry? He's talking about yeah. people, yeah. 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 yeah, that's right. It's it's something 
Yeah, they just don't get. They don't. I, I mean, just skip down to verse thirty-nine. It says, "And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word, because sorry, because of the word." Word of the woman who testified, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he st- and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then the then they said to the woman, "Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world." Now check out how awesome her testimony was how powerful her testimony was her testimony didn't bring them salvation but it brought them to jesus and then jesus did the the salvation work in them but i think so many times we we get we we, we try and do the saving instead of well i think when we when we whenever we hear a a testimony sometimes we misplace it in the Mm. wrong area but the testimonies to like attract people to God, to let God do the work and to show them this awesome and you know, awesome, powerful, loving creator God that run out of words to describe. But mm. it's a it's a testimony that was so powerful, a city mm. came out of their homes in the middle of the day to come and see Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Like mm. yeah. I want to hear it one day. Yeah. I hope I hope an angel wrote it down or she's ready to yeah. you know to bring it back word for word because mm. like that that's that's like Martin Luther King's I had a dream, you know, like I, ha- yeah. I have a dream. So I, should, I had a dream the other night. No, that's, that's bad. Sorry, I should shouldn't have said that. That's that, my that fault. That was Nebuchadnezzar. I hashed yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, but like that's that's just crazy. God was like Jesus was so like invested in that harvest that he's out of the way. You mentioned he's like well out of the way of where he's meant to be in a place that he normally would never have gone, yeah. or rather the disciples never thought. We should have been there. And then he stays there. Yeah, two days. Two days. Two days. Not, not yeah. only stays there, but was asked. Yeah, two days. By the locals. Yeah. By the locals who don't yeah. like Jews. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so that would have been... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the sleeping arrangements would have been, but Jews would have not stayed with Samaritans. But obviously, he kind of would have had to, right? Because it was their village. So he kind of would have had to have stayed with the Samaritans. So it's like very out of character for... You know, everyone apart from Jesus. Well, it's out of culture, a, not out what, of character. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, but what a what a testimony that would have been to the disciples. They're essentially being forced to take up residence for two days with a group of people that they have been taught culturally, generationally, are lesser human beings, and they're being put in a position where they have to see them as real humans. Well, oh, I don't think, worry, Luke. Yeah. They needed plenty more lessons before they got the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this was one of the first lessons that they needed along that on that road that you were mentioning because just think of your hesitation when the message starts going to the Gentiles. They, yeah. they still didn't get it straight away, but it, it would have been little moments like this they would have thought, but Jesus did this. But so see, Samaritans, Samaritans were half Jews. Mm. Mm. So it's... It, yeah, you, you could sort of justify it. Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, let's call it warming it up because yeah. you still got um, others like the centurion who comes along and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But such a such a powerful like I don't know. May, maybe I just want to share like my reflection. But this story has always been one of those ones for me where Jesus was just waiting and waiting in a point that he knew that we couldn't avoid. Like that lady had to go to the well at one point or another. Yeah, she gone run out of water. She gone die. She got. <laughs> she's got to come to this to this well. Yeah, 
You know, sometimes I think some we we always go, oh, it's just it's such a cool coincidence that Jesus was sitting there. But I think there was a divine appointment he was yeah. ready to have yeah. with not just that woman, but with the town. Yeah. But to have it with the town, he had to have it with that woman Word first. first. Well, and she so became a ministry to that whole town. Yeah, yeah. They've had several of these moments, I think, where they look to influence and they have a divine appointment with one person that then goes on to change a large demographic mm. or a, not even a demographic, but a large group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, demographics too narrow of a field. This is mm. an entire town. How yeah. many demographics in a town? Mm. Um, but I think sometimes we've got to be ready to go to the well too yeah. and be willing to accept that point because we've got to get there at one point or another. We're going to die. If we want to, if we want to spiritually die of starvation, of dehydration, then we can. But Jesus says that I've got the the living water. If you don't want a thirst, if you don't want spiritual dehydration, then you have to drink of me. Like there is only one fountain we're going to get that from. But when we accept that, we see, and the Bible's littered with them, but there's this story of a woman who's, and I said it in a way that was... just then that was probably derogatory but I didn't mean it like that but here is here is someone who was ostracized by a society and then completely like transformed to be the speaking point that transforms a city mm-hmm. I just think that was cool yeah, yeah. I, I just love the story for that for that point that just something as simple as an outcast could turn an entire town like I, I think yeah. it, we'll be more willing to believe in the power that God would have in our own lives and the transformation He has in our own lives, mm. then we'd be less hesitant to engage, that we'd be less hesitant to to want to reach out. Mm. Yeah, good call. Well, um, before we wrap this, any of you guys have anything else to, to add? I think we're... No, I, I think, think that's a good place. I think we're done. So, um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for uh, for another No Agenda episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, let us know on, on social media, share it with your friends, and, yeah, keep in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you guys. And have got other episodes coming up soon, which are audience requests. So we look forward to catching you guys next Tuesday. And let us know if you've got any No Agenda Bible studies that you want us to do as well. Yes, yes, please do. And also have a conversation with some of your friends. Yes, do that this week. All right, catch you guys. And that's the end of another episode. Just before I head off, I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation. Also, while you're signing up, I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website, oztabletalk.com.au. If you do that, you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so I would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review the final message that I'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our patreon account now 
Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating. And ultimately what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast. And so if you'd like to help us do that, jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards. But at different levels, there are different benefits, different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours. If you can't afford that, we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.